What is author marketing mastery through optimization, you ask? I'm going to tell you, it is absolutely, bar none, the best way for authors to make a living selling their books. Are you tired of feeling like you have to be on social media 50 hours a week just to sell a few books and then frustrated when that time doesn't actually lead to any book sales? Are you tired of hearing people say that you just have to be patient with the social media game for a long time so that you can build that following and that trust? Yeah, I was too, because there's only one of me, and ammo solves that problem. Now, here's the deal. It's a system that can actually guarantee results, and I'm not the one doing the guaranteeing, and I don't think that Steve Piper, who founded Ammo, would literally say that it's a guarantee, but what's a guarantee here is that when you spend advertising dollars in a right way, you get results and you're profitable. Okay, the concept here is if you spend a dollar and make two, you are profitable. And Ammo does that for its authors. I want you to check out the link in the show notes because this program has the ability to change your life. And hey, it's not for everyone. If you're a traditionally published author, it might not work for you because your margins will be too small to get profitable advertising on your own. That's something you'll have to take up with your publisher. But if you're self-published, if you're indie published, this thing could be great for you. If you have a few books out, especially if you're a series writer, this is a game changer. The whole podcast is now part of the Ammo family. So you'll notice every Wednesday, this show is Ammo Edition. But even on Mondays, you're listening to a show that exists because this author, this host of the podcast uses Ammo and makes money selling books. It's a beautiful feeling. I encourage you to check it out. My guest today is David Scherer, the other half of David and Lydia Scherer. Lydia joined Ammo some years back to help her sell her books. And David was able to leave full-time employment shortly after and sell games he designed to accompany her books. So the two of them work the Ammo process selling books and games. What's so unique about their process is that they are able to focus very heavily on paperback sales. So if you've listened to this show for a while and heard a little bit about the Ammo program and thought it was only for eBooks, well, this is the episode for you because we're gonna go into some depth about selling paperbacks and all of the different things that David and Lydia do. If you are like me, when you hear David talk about having five pallets of paperback books delivered to his house, you get chills of excitement. Because if you get five pallets of books, that means you're selling five pallets of books. And it means you're earning enough money that you can afford a print run that large. Go ahead and picture it. This is the power of what Ammo can do for you and the future you can have using the system. I've been struggling lately with my ads, and so it was nice today to launch a new one that seems to have gotten me back into the green. Uh, and I will say that the ad process can be a little bit finicky. It can mess with your brain, and I think we talk about that in this conversation with David. So I hope there's a lot for you to bite into and chew. As always, I'm going to have links throughout the show notes so that you can check out Ammo for yourself, see the testimonials, see the videos, see if it might be a good fit for you. And I will have links in the show notes for Lydia's books and even David's games if you want to check those out. They're going to give me a link to their doorbuster deal so that you can get their books and games. 
as cheap as humanly possible. There's nowhere that you're going to get a better deal. So go ahead and click on that as well if you want to check out their work. And please enjoy my conversation with David Scherer. This is TRBM Ammo Edition. If you're a published author and want to make a living writing books and selling them to avid readers, you've come to the right place. There's simply no program that's more successful at driving readers towards the books you've written. So the only thing you have to worry about is writing a great book. And the system with Enamel takes care of the rest. Thanks for listening to this conversation. I do have to start at the kind of worst point of the conversation because I think it frames up something about you and Lydia and your generosity, uh, as well as I think there's a, a life lesson in it. But a little while back, you had uh, invited some people in the Ammo group to join you at a, a book conference, kind of a Comic-Con, um, to help sell paperbacks. And uh, the the benefit of it was that you got to learn your process, which when we dive into your process, I think people are going to have their jaws not just on the floor, but somewhere six feet under and have to like dig them back up. It's really crazy what you're able to do. But I, I, uh, I backed out on you at the last moment in the least professional way possible um, and missed out on an opportunity. So framing it up there, talk to me about what you're capable of doing at a, a book fair or a Comic-Con um, in terms of selling books and building a readership, because you're doing something a little bit different with physical copies than a lot of people are doing with uh, electronic copies through ammo. Yeah, so uh, we, we lean heavy into physical uh, books, like paperback books, because that's, that's kind of how we started. Uh, we started doing conventions and things like that. Uh, back in the had two books, and we had like maybe 40 copies of each and Sitting at a table in a super tiny convention, being our first convention. Uh, I've got a background selling things in ring fairs and stuff. Lydia's got a background okay. also in ring fairs selling art. Um, so I did juggling and she did art. So we, we both have a in-person sales uh, background from that. So conventions, comic conventions and things like that were just like a, uh, a natural step for us. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that you, that, uh, you were supposed to go to, Lexington Comic and Toy Expo, is, is huge. It's, yeah. it's, it's one of the largest ones around where I live. Um, and we, we sold hundreds of books. I think we were just shy of 400 books. Wow. And about all, we sold 60 or 70 of my games. Um, and that was just in one weekend. Um, yeah. And we, we try to do as many conventions as we can. Uh, because what happens is you go to these conventions and people are like, walk by and they're like, oh, wow, here's a, Here's an author. Here's someone who actually writes books. Like these people actually exist. Yeah. And uh, you get to talk to these people, and um, that you build super fans really quick that way. Like, yeah. We have tons of people that go to these conventions, and they, uh, they follow us from one convention to another when we announce our schedule. And wow, um, <clears throat> we've got a there's a guy that comes up in Cincinnati every time. Um, but we go up there and he dresses like a hobbit and pays us and sacks a vehicle dollars. Wow. Um, that's hilarious. Like, we get, and he's like the first person, one of the first people to back our Kickstarters. He's like, wow. Super fan. Every time we have a new book come out, he buys a digital copy right away and waits for us to be in a convention around him to come in and give us yeah. a giant stack of gold dollars for whatever book it is that came out. <laughs> like, that's fun. The, 
Um, the thing that, that I like to do in these conventions is I also network a whole lot to different types mm-hmm. of conventions that we do. We do networking conventions and we do money making conventions. Lexington was a money making, really good process for sales. But yeah. then we're doing uh, <clears throat> Liberty Con uh, coming up in a couple weeks uh, down in Chattanooga, I believe. Okay. And it is um, it's a networking convention for us. We're not going to make a whole lot of money when we go down there, but it's where we're going to go to meet some other people in the field. Interesting. Um, that's how Lydia met John Ringo, who she did a uh, novel with. She did okay. a transdimensional hunter trilogy. It's a Bane yep. trilogy. There's going to be four books in it. Not really. Uh, it's how, a four book trilogy. Yeah. That's yeah. how their works work. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, some of these conventions are worth it just for the knowledge that you pick up, just for like, yeah. like finding, um, finding where to go, who's doing what convention, um, who did what, just comparing notes. Sure. Um, anytime I go to a, a money making convention, I still try to network there too. Um, like I yeah. try to, um, I try to do like a Saturday night. All the authors get together and have a dinner. Uh, so mm-hmm. we just sit around and talk and get to know each other and stuff like that and try to build like a, a community. Yeah. Because there's a ton of times whenever like somebody, like an author, a couple goes down, really needs help with something, and I'm either an expert at it or they've forgotten something, and I have an extra one in my tote, and I never would have known had I gone out and walked around and talked to people. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I need help too. Like, uh, Lydia's car broke down, uh, over the weekend for Lexington. And, oh, wow. um, we, we had, it was just me at the table at that point, um, because our, our help, uh, our other help hadn't gotten there yet. Uh, um, the the other and, help, uh, yeah, the other, the other um, You're and, welcome. Uh, this guy named Wayne Wayne Kramer uh, yeah. was uh, the other author that was there. Again, fantastic young adult book series. Um, but I couldn't leave the table because it was just me, and so I had to go to one of the other authors and go, "Hey, you've got like a couple people helping you out, and uh, somebody can go pick my wife up. She's like three exits down, or thirty oh minutes away, or wherever she was." And, uh, yeah, so like that, that community is, is great. Like I absolutely yeah. encourage people to build their community and like, establish a presence and yeah. just be a good person. Right. I think it's, I think it's, um, I think it's challenging. I will say from, from my perspective, if I'm just being the, the jerk that I am, it is so hard. It feels like to get a foothold in the community, um, to sell books to even think about making a living as an author uh, that I think my selfish mind sometimes takes over and asks like, what's in it for me? Uh, mm-hmm. I hope at least one person listening knows that feeling and also struggles with it. Cause it's not like I'm giving into that thought process, but it certainly uh, is something that, that returns for me. A lot of times I know that I need to be a good literary citizen. And I hope that this podcast is that to a degree for a lot of people. Uh, but it, I would be lying if I said that I started it or that I've done much of anything just purely uh, from uh, an altruistic perspective. So um, it's one of the things I I really love about you guys. I was introduced to Lydia because I was having trouble with my sales page and she just jumped up and said, Hey, I'd love to have a look and I'll I'll give you some input on what's going on there. Um, And, and looked it over and gave me some really good feedback that helped me and it helped me move closer to being profitable through my ammo sales page. One thing I want to do now before we move further is actually take a step back because you mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned Kickstarter. So I want to have a conversation Mm -hmm. about Kickstarter as it relates to ammo and how you're feathering that in. 
Uh, and then I want to also talk about specifically with you, how you're using the ammo funnel to sell paperbacks. Cause I think it's a lot more challenging with the margins on a paperback to be profitable through ammo. So those are two things I want to touch. So let's, let's hit on, um, let's start with Kickstarter. I've had a couple of guests on here and I'm guessing because of the fact that you're involved in that community, you might even know, uh, Robin and Michael J. Sullivan. Those things sound very familiar. Okay. But maybe, maybe not. Okay. So Michael is, he, he views what they did with Kickstarters kind of founding the process of really having authors use it as a platform to sell books. Uh, And then Brandon Sanderson gave him a nod as being the person that he learned from. So he was watching what Michael was doing. uh, And that's how he decided to do his Kickstarter. Um, So I think that they're pretty well known, but if they're in different genres, you, you can easily miss. There's just so many authors out there, but so you're using Kickstarter to sell books. Are you selling your games there as well, David? Yes, that's how we got the funding for um, for my first game. Awesome. Um, we needed about ten thousand dollars to get the game just printed, like the smallest one you could possibly do, and we ended up getting forty six thousand dollars. Wonderful! That's so. So cool. we made over four times, four and a half times what we what we asked for, um, which meant that I now have a room that's once held 3,300 copies of a thing. Wow. And if you've never seen 3,000 of a thing, uh, 3,000 <laughs> of a thing is a lot more than you realize. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I just look up Michael J. Sullivan. Um, we have a whole lot of friends in common on Facebook, but I don't know if I've ever met him. Yeah. Well, that would be something for you after this is over to to reach out to them. I, I bet you you have a lot in common, actually. Um, mm-hmm. And they're phenomenal people, some of the most generous people I've ever met. So you sold games and Lydia's selling books through Kickstarter as well, I'm assuming? Uh, we don't Kickstarter books anymore. You don't? Um, okay. We, we used to uh, yeah. back when we didn't, we didn't have the capital to uh, to do a print run as large as we wanted to. Yep. Um and we also used it uh, for pre-orders, but Amazon is uh, better pre-order stuff now than they used to. And we can also Great. do pre-orders now from our own website. Awesome. Um, so because of those two things happening, um, no longer start our books. Um, but if we ever do a project that's like, a, um, like we, we're doing our book right now. Um, mm-hmm. The art book was part of our previous Kickstarter. It was one of the stretch goals. Um, that's the type of thing that we would do a Kickstarter for. Okay. Uh, but it's not it's not our normal product. So anytime we branch out, that's yeah. that's basically what we do. Um, my next game, it looks like we're gonna have to kickstart that um, okay. because we just don't have the capital to uh, the print the quantities that it that is needed to make it purchasable. Yeah. Um, because if I if I, you can't print on demand like you can for uh, for books, like if right. you just need a hundred books, you can get it from Amazon. Get, yeah, get all their copies, and it's fine. Yeah. But whenever you're printing like a ninety-five account um, deck of cards, you know, mm-hmm. small box, you have to print those in three to five thousand in order to get them cheap enough so that people can afford to buy them. Because if if I'm like, hey, I've got a deck of cards for fifty bucks, that's not going to fly. The deck of cards for twenty-five. That, yeah, that would. Yeah. Now, when when you're when you're printing off a, a game like that, uh, how are you, how are you driving? I mean, you, you have you have the audience. Is there overlap in your audiences so that <clears throat> that, that Lydia's readers are interested in your games and vice versa, or do you try to keep those two audiences uh, no, separate? We're using the same IP. Um, awesome. So my game, uh, Lydia's books, are about a wizard, a witch, and a magical talking cat. Mm-hmm. And my games so far, I started in Magical Talking Cat. 
Gotcha. That's awesome. So, uh, so you've so created a very Alan, interactive. Yeah. So Sir Edgar Allan Kipling, magical talking cat, is the main character and star of the Cat Magic game. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next game that I'm doing is going to be called Outflank, and it's going to star the four of the main characters in the book are going to be the characters with the decks of cards that you're playing with against. So, so much we, I absolutely um, leverage her IP as much as I can. Yeah. Um, because it's a, it's a, our biggest valuable like resource that we have right now is the, the IP yeah. that she's created. Um, but you don't have to know anything about the books to, to play the games. And yeah. I actually use our ammo funnel, the same ammo funnel that you would use for, um, for books. Um, I've modified stuff to make our ammo ads work for games as well. Yeah, I've long suspected that that's the case. I feel like the way that Steve teaches ammo, uh, it's just going to take, it's going to take an enterprising, slightly unethical person to realize that you could, you could, uh, uh, change ammo and sell that program to somebody who wants to, to, uh, do something else in business. Cause the, 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 the process of ammo is honestly, it's what makes it so amazing is he tells mm-hmm. you exactly what to do. Uh, no other program I've ever been part of is, is doing that. They'll, they'll raw, raw, shish, goomba and get you all worked up and, and excited. But then you sit in front of that ad and you're like, how do I, how do I actually design the ad? And they don't, they don't know. They actually don't know how to design the ad. Even, even click funnels. I really like Russell Brunson pretty well. I've mentioned him on this podcast from time to time. I like him as a person, but I was part of the program, uh, until I could refund it. Um, it's, quite expensive uh, compared to what what Steve is doing and they have some cool resources like uh you can you can check your your keywords to see if um they're good copy or not but when it comes to designing an ad they don't have a process how how do you test this ad how do you see what people like how do you figure out how they can um refine their ads when an ad doesn't hit because i think that's the truth for all of us so i do want to step a little bit back and ask you uh, about your process with lydia there was a time before you started ammo where you didn't know how to design an ad and i'm assuming you didn't design the perfect ad the first time right well, Lydia was the one signing out at the very beginning when we actually yep. didn't do it right. Um, you didn't do it right, Lydia you said? It. Yeah, Lydia, but before we did ammo, there was a um, year or two where we were doing things on our own. Yep. And we made no money. We didn't know what we were doing. Uh, mm-hmm. the, only, the only times we ever made money is when we went to conventions. Yeah. So physical books are um, We were trying to send people to our... Uh, Amazon sales page. And mm. We couldn't see if we were making money or not. We yeah. couldn't see, we, the only thing we could see is if our rank order was going up. It's mm-hmm. not a very good test of if you made money on your investment. Um, and then Lydia yeah. one day saw, saw Steve's face on an ad. And uh, I was working uh, as a telecommunications engineer um, and uh, like a soldiering of a job, like four yeah. you know what? So, um, Lydia comes to me and she's like, Hey, I want to take this course. It's really expensive. <laughs> um, and I'm like, I sure we can take it. Well, well, I'm all on board. I don't want to do what I'm doing right now forever and trying to build your career. So whatever resources you need to get there, can go for it. So she set up the, the meeting with Steve and got into the, the ammo project and she took this course and was like, looked overwhelmed all the time. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there's uh, there's been a couple of additions to the course based on things that Lydia got wrong during the time that she was taking the course, <laughs> like yeah. reminders to uh, to check certain things. Yeah. 
Um, <clears throat> but then a couple years ago, uh, I was at two or three now. Um, I was at home, uh, middle of COVID. Uh, I was, uh, I was always on call because of the particular nature of my job. Mm-hmm. I designed phone systems and then people would install them incorrectly and then call me because my name is on the design and, uh, tell me that my design didn't work whenever <laughs> it was in fact that they did it wrong. Yeah. Uh, I complained to Lydia about how I didn't, I didn't want to do that anymore or I didn't yeah. want to, I didn't want to go gaming at the game and then schedule the next day and I'm like, I don't feel like it anymore. And she's like, you should quit your job right now. I, wow. I make three times what you make. Uh, I was a highly paid engineer. Yeah. So she showed me the math and I turned in my two weeks notice on the, wow. that Monday because that was a Friday that she told me that. So on Monday I turned in my two weeks notice for a job I'd been at like almost 15 years. Wow. Um, and uh, I took over ads and my very first ads were amazing. It did really, really well. Ah. But I had Lydia's uh, yeah. knowledge to lean on. Um, but that shows how comprehensive the ammo course is. Yeah. Uh, I was able to um, pivot from phone engineering to ammo with no problem because the instructions were clear enough. Yeah. Um, I built up an audience, uh, based on some research that I was doing and set my first test, test ads out and then test ads did really well. Um, and then I've just been doing, doing that ever since. I do ads slightly different than other people. We do cost cap ads. Okay. Uh, so we try to leverage, leverage cost caps and I run up almost, there, there's a 250 ad limit on, the ads you can have on Facebook. Okay. Uh, and I know because I'm constantly running into that limit. And having oh, wow. Lead ads and um, because my ads don't all spend at the same time. Oh, okay. Um, sometimes they'll, whenever they would make money, they'll kick in. And if they wouldn't make money, they don't spend any money. Oh, wow. So um, that it's, sounds uh, really technical. Is it, is it as technical as it sounds? Once you sit down and look at it and start thinking about it, it, it makes sense. Okay. Um, but it, but like trying to explain it's real awkward. Um, okay, that's fine. If you set up a cost cap on Facebook on their ads, if yeah. Facebook doesn't think it's going to make that cost cap, if it doesn't think it's going to make that cost, it just won't show your ad. But uh-huh. on days that it does think it's going to make it, it shows that ad to everybody. It wants to get as much money as you can. From I gotcha. Ad. So instead so, of doing like say a hundred dollars a day, it's going to do five hundred dollars on Wednesday because it knows that Wednesday shoppers are just really ready to buy your product. Uh, and, and then it'll shut it back down on Thursday because it doesn't feel like conditions are correct. Is that, I mean, is that a really dumb way to, to, yeah. to, to describe it? Okay. No, that's, that's, that is very close to being accurate. Okay. Um, it's, uh, it'll constantly, they'll, they'll do like dollar, $2 a day because every, every day it'll, it'll try. Sure. And then we'll see if it can make that, um, that budget. And if it's just like, well, this is impossible today, it'll, it'll skip it. Yeah. Um, but I, but I've got like a hundred ads doing that. Yeah. So not all of them are absolutely terrible every day. Sure. Uh, some days, some days we spend like almost no money, but, um, <laughs> like, uh, holidays that show up, like Memorial Day happens and 4th of July and things like that. Um, where people usually manually turn off or some people manually turn off their ads because they know their spend's going to be atrocious those days mm-hmm. because they can't compete with big advertisers. Um, yeah. on, on those days for me, I, I don't change anything. My ads just don't spend that good. And then on wow. like the Monday or whatever afterwards, they get back up and start working again. 
Wow. Well, I mean, in, in, in some point, I'm going to have to dive into that because I think that that sounds like something really effective. And and the other thing I want to pinpoint is it sounds to me like you have variations of an ad. And so like on one day, an ad that might not be successful shut down, but another ad that's a variation will be successful. It's so confusing yeah. to me how, how, how in the world does Facebook know that the variation will be successful on a given day that another one wouldn't? That, that seems like magic, it's, cat magic. It's not, a, it's not even variations. A lot of times it's just different copies of the same ad. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So whenever I make ads, I make like, like 50 at a time. Um, so wow. I have, uh, it will, we'll do the, the standard ammo process where you get your pictures and your, your yep. body and your, your um, headline all straightened out. And then you'll, you'll from that, usually end with several ads. Well, I do several ads, but then I do several types of those ads. So some of my ads will be free book giveaways. Some of my ads will be uh, going to our paperback stuff. And some yeah. of my ads are going to our ebook stuff. Um, and if we have, uh, we don't have, our audiobooks, uh, the ability to advertise for audiobooks right now, or I do an audiobook set as well. Um, we, those rights are owned by, uh, Intermediate at the moment. Uh, we're waiting for those oh. to revert back to us. Um, but so I end up with like 48 ads, I think is what the math turns out to be whenever wow. you have like all those uh, factors together. And then I release those out into the world and then, yeah. uh, do a, a really, savage purge of them over the next few days yeah and trim them down to about 20 or so of those new ads hmm. and then um the ones that are are doing good at that time will, will be good and then they'll eventually like peter out and they'll come back up and they'll peter out and they'll come back up and uh sometimes they'll they'll get out of control and just start spending ridiculously and not turn them off but for the most part, if my ads aren't spending money, I just leave them alone because they're mm-hmm. going to spend money eventually. Yeah. So I need that space to make new ads. Yeah. So there's a couple of things. For one, anybody who's listening right now and and thinking like it sounds like we just switched into a different language, uh, we will we'll kind of leave off on some of the technical details. But uh, what David just talked about is really high level cool thing that you could do that actually would make the process a lot easier for you. Um, I babysit my ads pretty regularly to make sure that they're doing what I want them to do. Um, I have to manually back off the ad spend if I start to tank and row as and different things like that, um, which even that sounds like a different language, I'm sure. Um, how long did it take you to get to a point where you started to riff on uh, Steve's process? Because I think that's another thing. If somebody's listening and has never tried anything like this before, uh, just the just the idea of running an ad seems really overwhelming. I can say that from experience. I've only been running ads since February. Uh, it, it's really overwhelming the first time. And I think it speaks to the process that he's created, that you're so comfortable with the mindset of creating ads that you started riffing and adapting them for your own needs. How, how long did that take? I know you said Lydia started first, so she gave you kind of an on-ramp. Well, I... I come from a background of sound engineering, uh, where yeah. a lot of the work that I used to do since it was so cutting edge was try it and see. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I, from the start was trying to figure out what all the, the knobs and levers did. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, all right, let's, let's tweak this thing. Let's see what happens if I tweak this. What if we do this type of thing instead? Uh, yeah. and I would, I would test things. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that, uh, made, made me, have so much to say on our ammo calls that we do. 
Mm-hmm. Um, is that like I would randomly get an idea and be like, I wonder what would happen. Yeah. With this. I wonder what would happen if I just sent them straight to the checkout page or send them to a condensed landing page, and I would I would do um, do all kinds of tests just so I could know what what knobs did what. And yeah. It was the ammo course was so in depth that it was pretty easy for me to figure out what knobs I could turn without thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just looked through the things we were already modifying. Yeah. And just tweak them a little more. Um, so, but it was about six months before I, I got comfortable enough that I knew what I was doing enough that I could talk the lingo and mm-hmm. not be just overwhelmed whenever I go into the, the ammo yeah. calls. Um, but if you were more adventurous than me, it might not take that long, but I, I wanted to make sure that I had income to spend on my tests before I started doing random tests. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, I, I'm still, I'm still in the early stages enough that I'm thinking about getting one ad consistently profitable, uh, let alone two, let alone three, let alone 250, let alone, uh, <laughs> tweaking anything, you know? So it's, it's, uh, mind blowing to me. I like being in this position to, to host a podcast about ammo, um, and, and be still relatively ignorant. Sometimes I feel like I don't even know the questions to ask. And that's probably one of the only downsides I can, I can see is that there's so much that you're doing that could help a lot of authors out if they could understand the power of, of what you've got going. One question that does really burn in my mind is the physical product seems to matter to you and to Lydia an awful lot. And I think that comes from your days in conventions, but you're, you're still running funnels uh, through ammo for paperbacks on Facebook, right? Yeah. Um, we, you get put into the, the same funnel. It's, it's worded. So that no matter if you get the paperback or if you get the, the, the ebook, um, you're, you're still put into our, our newsletter. And put that. Mm-hmm. Um, you get different emails from our, our funnel, depending on, where your entry point is, but it, it sends you to the same place where you're getting updates on, on things that we're doing and products yeah. that we're putting out. Um, but it's, Do you sell it's packages same. when it's paperbacks? Is it like one paperback oh, yeah. or two or five? And then same with um, the games. So are you selling one game or two at a time? So with the with the paperbacks, we sell, um, we have a, a doorbuster bundle, uh, which is book one and two and a novella. Um, so, all right, so everyone's stuff. Um, so we've got our, like our main books and then a novella and then book two. Um, and it's, uh, like pretty comparable to, to our, our robusters. So it's like 14 and something like that. And oh, wow. Okay. What our, our, no, it's 20, 21. So it's, okay. it's pretty comparable to our, our ebook bundle in price. And then, um, you get the option to add two more books onto it. You get book four and book five. Gotcha. It's um, like a value add or a, an upsell at the checkout. An upsell. Yeah. yeah. And with our, our ebooks, it is like the first five, first four or five, and then you get to add on the rest of them. Uh, has got seven books out in the series, two novellas, and uh, a couple standalones. So we, we have a lot more books that we can add in that. Um, and so it's, but we try to keep the price comparable. So whatever. Yeah. We're, we're doing our price wise for our ebooks. We wanted to have a similar price for our paperbacks and which paper we had to figure out which paperbacks we could offer for that. Yeah. Um, and I get, you know, 10 to 20 on a normal day, 10 to 20 books. So, or packets 
So anyways, so that's anywhere between three and twelve books. Wow. Uh, physical books. Um, and it, it got pretty overwhelming real quick. Yeah. Like, packaging those. Uh, so we, we were in the situation. I argued, I, well, not argued, I debated with Steve about it, about how I, we weren't in a position to hire somebody to come in and package books because we weren't making enough money to do that. And he was like, you're sending out like two, three hundred books a week. Yeah. You're mailing out a lot of books. You need to, need to look into that. Uh, and then we've grown since then. So we've got a, a girl that comes in. You'll probably see her in the background. This video, uh, eventually is going to yeah. show up any minute now and, uh, start packing books for us. So wow. Okay. Reach out and wire help. That's, that's amazing. Um, I'm, I'm so early in the process again that, that, uh, for a while there I was doing probably two paperbacks a day. Um, and I love, because I live in a small town, I walk out my front door and there's an apartment complex across the street from me. And I go behind that complex down an alley. And then the post office is the next street over. So I just walk with my books into the post office and it's, it's really, it's, it's a gratifying fun moment. Um, and, and the, the people at the post office know me, uh, and that's exciting, but I, I always joke with them and I can't help it. I think partly because I want to sell more books and I feel a little bit silly just bringing like onesies and twosies. And I'm always like, Hey, it's great to have books today, but I'm looking forward to bringing a wagon load down. You know, um, there's, there's something about physical books, paperback books going out to customers that just feels more real to me. I can't, I've, I've tried to change my mindset, but I love the feeling of packaging my book and, and walking it down to the post office. But I, I hear you. Mm-hmm. I write, I really, I still, I still don't sell enough that I can't do this. I write hand, cool. handwritten notes to paperback buyers still. Um, mm-hmm. So that's something. Used to, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We used to sign the books yeah. and do things like that. Yep. Uh, we we just can't anymore. Absolutely. Uh, we not. sold um, since we've been talking. We have sold twenty four books, paperback books on uh, our website. That's great. Since we've been talking, yeah. <laughs> that's, that is a lot. That's more than I was expecting. But that yeah. is uh, what we have done today. Like since since we started having this conversation. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. That's the power of the program. And I think, I think it's really good. So, uh, I'm pretty shameless about trying to pitch ammo. I've been telling a lot of people I know about it because if you're an author and you have good books out and you're writing quality and you're making sure that the editing is up to snuff and everything is good about the product itself, the only thing you need to do is get in front of people. Uh, I want to, I want to walk back too, because that brings me to a point Were you or Lydia ever scared to do the advertising. Did it ever feel like, wow, that's money. I'll never get back. Um, when was yes. the mindset shift and talk to me through that process? It was terrifying. It was yeah. a lot of money, um, that we didn't really have to lose. Uh, that's why yeah. me and Lydia sat down and had a conversation about it. Um, we had a, a I am downplaying conversation. Like it was a very long doing math and getting out spreadsheets and, and <laughs> going, all right, can we afford this? Like, I'm going to skip some lunches. Like, this is this is a lot of money and it's a really big deal. Um, and then we started doing it and Libby started was doing it full time and we weren't selling any to start with. We yeah. weren't seeing any, any growth in it. Uh, we found out eventually it's because we were doing it wrong. Um, as I mentioned yeah. previously, the things that we did way wrong in the beginning of the thing. And I wasn't, I was not involved in it at all. I was go to work nine yep. to five, um, well, nine to nine, mostly. Yeah. It was on call stuff. Um, and <clears throat> like 
hating life because I would do all that and I'd come home and I'd see Lydia super stressed out about the animal product. And man, I wish I could take this over for you. This is the type of stuff that I love. I love getting into those numbers. I love the marketing. I love talking to people and doing stuff with marketing. Yeah. Um, and then one day, uh, like a month or two in, came home and Lydia's super happy. What's going on? What's, what's happening? But I paid our electric bill. Yay. With, yeah, paid yeah. our electric bill. He's like, no, no. I paid our electric bill. I'm like, oh, you paid our electric bill with money you made. Oh, that makes more sense. Yeah. And like, that was, <laughs> that was the shift for us. Like, whenever yeah. she started taking over more and more bills, um, yeah. without me realizing it, because she, she did the finances for us. Yeah. Um, and gradually it just got better and better. And started doing more and more of her income. Um, and yeah. always without my knowledge. I thought that I was the breadwinner. Like, <laughs> like, I hate my job. And she's like, just yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's uh it was a hard, long, hard road, but mm-hmm. it was absolutely worth it. Yeah. Yeah. That's my that's my feeling as well. Um I've been talking with listeners um uh, I'd run two episodes a week. One of them is not technically ammo edition. So one is still just the, the TRBM podcast. So I'm doing a series on getting your books into libraries right now. Um, but I, my, actually, my, what's actually listen to, actually started listening to the first one. Right? Oh, um, thanks, man. Um, yeah. And, and so my ad account right now is suspended, restricted because of nothing I did wrong. And I can get on the phone or typically it's a chat with Facebook people. Um, and, and they'll be like, yeah, we don't see any violations, um, but it's under review and there's nothing they can do. And I keep like banging my head against the wall. It's very, very frustrating. Um, I was going somewhere. That's with happened, that. What's that's happened to us a couple times. That's happened yeah. to us a couple times. Yeah. Um, we put in an ad that had a smiley face in it. Um, uh-huh. And the ad like violated something and we got our ad account suspended for like a month. Uh, oh we, my we sweating bullets and yeah, to figure out how, what we're going to do because that's that's where we make money. Exactly. Um, and so I I it was on the phone with Facebook, our Facebook yeah. rep that we have like over and over again, and eventually just came back one day, just I mean, just back randomly. All of our data was wrecked because we didn't have any sales. So we had to go back and build everything back up again. That's happened to us twice now uh, yeah. while I've been working on it. I don't know if it's happened before when I hadn't taken over yet, but yeah, I've, I've gone through that. It's rough. It is rough. It's frustrating. Yeah. And mine is, mine is um, you know, I, I'll reach out to him and I'll be like, Hey, I understand you're giant corporate people. Like you, you maybe can't do anything in the position you're working in, but this is my livelihood we're talking about right now. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm not able to pay bills because you've completely shut down my source of revenue. Now, yeah. I think that that leads into the next well, piece of the conversation I think is so important is that you do have at this point a backup in your emails. Yeah. You've built a large yeah. enough uh, list of emails. The- our, our account getting shut down actually made us realize that we needed to diversify our income a lot. Yeah. So we, we started pushing forward on our Patreon page. Uh, we nice. started um, ramping up our increase in sales. That's one of the reasons that we started yeah. doing the, the physical paperback books. Oh, um, cool. As hard as we, we have been. I got really active on other social medias. Um, mm-hmm. I got really active on like Reddit and uh, just other social media places that I was already. Uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying people should go to be active on Reddit. Reddit is a terrible place Weird. unless you know exactly where to go. Yeah. Um, so I, I got 
active on the suggest me a book Reddit. Okay. Um, we pull some sales from that. Um, just where people go, I would like a book and our book fits. I'd be like, let me tell you about this book. That's and cool. Pitch up the book on there. And usually we'd see like some sales randomly uh, pop up yeah. from that. Um, but we, we absolutely learned that we need to lean on our email list a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we do, um, like periodic sales, like holiday sales and things like that. Yeah. But, uh, pull some pretty big numbers for us. Anytime that we release a new book, we, we uh, leverage our, um, our email list. Uh, I think we sold like 700 physical book, like, like paperback books whenever her book seven came out. Yeah. Um, just based on pre-orders from our awesome. uh, mailing list. Um, so we, we do lean on that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty that valuable. seems it seems to be um, pretty thematic. I talked to Gordon Carroll just recently. His episode's coming out tomorrow for us, uh, for listeners. It'll be a week in the past when they hear this. <laughs> but uh, podcast time, yeah, podcast time. Exactly. It's it's like your time traveling kind of. Uh, and and he's he's probably the exception to where he's able to continue to just run his whole funnel on. Uh, through ammo on Facebook and he's doing really well with it. Although he does, he did talk about the power of cross sales, cross channel sales with, with, uh, Amazon. I'm not advertising big enough that I'm seeing the cross channel sales, but yeah, it, it was, it was when I got shut down that I realized I need that library avenue really strong for me. I need libraries to buy my books. So I need to have those relationships because the less work you can do for the more sales, the more writing you can do, or the more game designing you can do. Uh, and, and that's, I think, super important because when I first started ammo, I was so mentally overwhelmed. It felt like bricks on top of me just to understand the system. Now I understood it worked. So I was really invested in it, but figuring out when to even do simple things like jump on Twitter and interact with my following there or write my book or do any of those things. It was just so mentally taxing that I was struggling at first. And now I balance it a whole lot better, Um, but it's, it's hard at first. I like to recommend 20 minutes to 45 minutes of social media time a day, and then that's it. Shut it off yeah. after that. Yeah, absolutely. That's what works for me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It is. It, it can be consuming. I built up my Twitter following. Um, I started in March of 22, uh, and by March 23, I had 20. 2000 followers, I believe was where I was at. But I mean, I was literally treating like a day job for a while because it was the only way I knew how to get people listening to the podcast or interacting with me, understanding I was a writer. Um, I, I didn't know anything else. I tried, I paid money for other things and nothing was really working until ammo came along. Um, but yeah, I, I, how I was on Twitter was not healthy and I'd never go back to that again. Yeah. <laughs> so social media does not bring out the best of people. It doesn't. And I don't, I don't think a lot of times there may be exceptions. I've heard that, that book talk can be really a great avenue for some authors to sell uh, books, especially paperbacks for some reason. But TikTok is life-sucking. It takes so much time. And very often, you get no interaction. And and at that point, you're like, I spent a fair amount of time putting that together for it to just do nothing. From a person who knows a whole lot about telecommunications and how programs like that work, the security issues on TikTok alone will keep me away from it. 
Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. I do know that sometimes I wonder when, um, and this is, this is years back because I did have a secret Twitter account for a while that I was not very disciplined on, but at one point they shut me out until I gave them a phone number. And I was like, you can't hold me hostage to get my phone number. It seems so unfair. And my, my friend, John, uh, he does the intro for this podcast. He, he said to me at one point, he's like, well, man, you don't realize that they already have your phone number. They're just asking permission to use it. So that was kind of the moment when I realized, okay, you're right. I'm completely exposed. Like all of my security's out the door already. Um, so I gave him my phone number, but I've always felt a little iffy about it. Yeah. Well, it, even like Facebook, Facebook has shadow accounts on everybody as far as tracking goes for uh, like advertisements and things like that. And yeah. by shadow account, I don't mean covert operation stuff. Uh, what, what that is is a account that they build up for you, even though you don't have a Facebook account, so they can track your movements online. Oh my gosh. Uh, so they can then build an algorithm out of it and advertise their team. Wow. That's insane. So if you're like, I don't have Facebook, I've never used Facebook. Um, I've seen really compelling evidence that things like that happen. That's, that's just, that's really, really crazy. It's hard to believe. So, sometimes they don't merge them properly or they get like information wrong. Like, so if you've gotten like an ad for something that's completely out of character, just yeah. way off, either the person making the ad, screwed something up or mm-hmm. the algorithm like crossed some wires. Yeah. That's pretty wild. It's, it, it does make me, uh, it, it makes me want to have a really robust email list for sure. I, I think that's probably the biggest thing, um, is, is to have that, that backing that you can reach out to your email list every time a new game comes out, every time a new book comes out, make sure that those people know, uh, because my feeling is, even at a 1% conversion rate, there's a certain point where you're just basically bulletproof uh, at a 1% conversion rate. And and that's amazing. That's a cool thing to think about. Yep. But so, you, have, you have to constantly be making new products. Yes. That work. Um, yeah, that is, that is true. Um, do you, do you feel like your games are more evergreen? Sorry, you're, you're going to talk. So say your thing and then answer yeah. that question. Apologize. One, one, of the thing, one of the things that I talk to people about whenever I do conventions is that um, adding a new product is multiplicative. So the effort that you put in to advertise one book, two books, three books is absolutely monumentally more than it is to your fourth, fifth, sixth. Like the yeah. more books you have, the more profit you're going to make because it's just having more volume, more backlog. Yeah. As long as your books are consistently good, mm-hmm. you don't jump the shark somewhere in there. Um, yeah. Your, your best thing you can do for your marketing business once you get an established foundation down is put out more books. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think so, that a lot of people will even say putting out more books in the beginning is good. I think Steve might even tell some people like, yeah, you can join the program, but understand that before the three book point, you're going to really have a hard time making this thing work for you. From what I've seen, the math that I've, I've seen from doing this for as long as I have is that five books is generally the like profitability, like good profitability breakpoint. Yeah. Have like one and two, you're going to be spending money to get your main author. You're, you're not going to be, like, it's not going to be a good investment. And yeah. three books, you're going to be breaking even. Yeah. Um, you're going to start seeing a little bit of growth there. At four books, it's, it's a significant jump, but not nearly as big of a jump as the fifth. Wow. Um, and it's, it's something I've seen consistently helping out other authors. Yeah. Um, I don't have any, like, physical data that I can go, and here's all my data on. But it's from me working with other people. Like every time people go, yeah, I put out my fifth book, and now I'm making money. Wow. Um, and 
that seems to be the magic break point for most people. Like your mileage yeah. may vary. Uh, some people need more. Some people need less. Some people lighten the bottle and put one book out and they're done. Right. But statistically, I'm not that way. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's an amazing thing to think about. I, I do agree that occasionally you'll have uh, the, uh, Andy Weir sell The Martian and just things go crazy yeah. for him, you know, and I would love for that to be me or, or anybody that I speak to puts one book out there that for reasons you can't fully understand just catches lightning by the tail. Um, all right, let's see. So, so my, my games are being evergreen. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Um, yes. Uh, my games are an evergreen product. They're always going to be a thing that I can sell uh, as long as you don't own a copy of it, you're good to, to buy a copy of it. Um, but uh, the way that we sell my games is that uh, it's just like with our, our book series, the most money that we make is from the markup, from the uh, upsell. So we okay. sell this game, is it's about $25 on our website. Uh, we okay. make an okay profit off of that. But we also sell game nights. Uh, so when you buy one of our games, it pops up with a pop-up. Uh, each player... Uh, to play with a game mat. Uh, it, it just is a mat you put on the table that shows you where your cards go. You actually yeah. don't, don't need it to, to play it, but it's pretty. And yeah. people, like gamers, like accessories. Yeah. So uh, we sell those for about $10 each, um, and there's a, a good markup on, on those. And yeah. you can sell two, two to five. It's a two to five player game. And whenever people click on that, I want mats markup. Yeah. Um, so it goes from being like a $25 purchase to a $75 purchase. And that's, that's where we make most of the money from, from the game. I love that. Have you, have you done any of that with Lydia's books where you have any kind of accessories, bookmarks? Um, shoot, I don't know. I can't even think well, we, of things, but we do. We have, we have yeah. a whole swag store. Um, yeah. But that's done to companies like Printify and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, we every now and then sell a t-shirt. Um, Mugs yep. are pretty popular. Um, we give bookmarks away at conventions, so we don't, yeah. we don't really sell those. Sure. Um, but like pins, buttons, uh, stuff like that, you can get all that on at videoshare.com, like on our store. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's all out of our hands. We never see that. Oh, gotcha. Uh, okay. So it's done by uh, Printify, which okay. is a print on demand Shopify. Thing, gotcha. I think. Yeah. Um, so it's integrated the, uh, with Shopify, but basically yeah. it just runs in the background. So somebody goes to the, the shop. I, I am curious about this actually. Uh, as far as your upsell goes, I know that that Shopify itself has a program that allows you to add upsell to mm-hmm. your checkout. Um, so you do that, and then does it also integrate those accessories that you have as well? So it'll it'll do the upsell plus accessories. Yeah. So whenever you go to LydiaShare.com, you go to our store. And it'll have like a list of all the products that we offer. Most of them are books, but we've got links for like other merchandise and stuff like that. So you get t-shirts and things. Whenever you buy a paperback or an ebook or whatever from it, we have programmed in the option to get to offering upsell. We've like almost always mm-hmm. offering upsell whenever you go through our, our books. We don't do enough, um, of other merchandise sales to make it worth me figuring out what would be a good upsell. For each sure. piece of merchandise. Yeah. Um, but we, we know it with books. We know if somebody's buying book one, two, book three, and four, it would be a good upsell. Yeah. You know, it, it's just, it makes sense that way. Um, but we don't, um, we don't really mess with, with merchandise other than that, other than our games. Yeah. 
I guess last question, then I want to I want to make sure that everybody is pointed toward all of the different places you've said uh, LydiaShare.com. So that's going to be where people go. But m- my last question is, do you both really enjoy making the, the, the product? The reason I'm asking is because you'll see a lot of ads on YouTube, especially if you're me and you've tried sales programs. I get targeted for them all the time. But I see things all the time about people who are like, hey, the worst way to do something is to to be stuck in the 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 rat you know, maze or whatever of having to create content, create, 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 create. I love writing. That's why I'm doing this. Uh, So for me, writing is the reason I do this. I don't do this to make money, although I have to make money in order to do this. Uh, Do you guys enjoy it? Absolutely. I I love working with uh, a family company. Uh, It is is a family company. Like my four-year-old has discovered capitalism. (laughs) <laughs> um, and one day he asked if he could help me package some books and I gave him a quarter because he helped me. Nice. Like, he, knows, he knows all the book titles. He knows them all by color. He knows them all yeah. by number. So, like, I'll give him the, the printout of an order and he'll go get the books and he'll put it on the stack with the rest of them. Um, I can't, I couldn't do that with any other job. Yeah. Like, every day no. I wake up and my four-year-old is standing by the basement door, ready for me to go down to my office, going, Daddy, do you have any paying jobs? Like, that's, <laughs> that's just, it's beautiful. And, like, Absolutely. I get to see my kids. Um, I get to talk about the product that I love nonstop. And yeah. I get to work with my, my wife. And I get to live on building a future for my family. I love it. I lied. I have one more question. You are a little bit different than so many people in that you keep the print books, the paperbacks on hand. So there are companies that will fulfill the paperbacks um, secondarily for you and you lose some margin, Mm -hmm. but you also kind of get rid of the headache of of shipping them yourselves. Can you tell me why do you do it yourselves? Why did you hire somebody to do it for you in-house? What was the, the, the payoff for you? Well, so whenever we first all started talking about, like, by all I mean, like, us in the online program, when we, we got together and we were like, we're thinking about doing paperback books. Um, yeah. Because we, like, I personally had started doing paperback books and other people were trying to figure out to do it as well. Um, we were just used to already, like, having books on hand because we would take them to conventions. Yep. Um, and we had a small event in store uh, set up that we could buy books through that we got like one or two orders every now and then. Yeah. Um, so we just, we had that product on hand and we were just, just used to doing it ourselves. And then I started looking into um, Lulu and yeah. Book Vault and places like that that, that ship books out to people. And I started hearing horror stories of people that like, had we known there was an issue whenever it started, it would have been very minor. It would have been just like me sending another copy of a book out or something like yeah. that. But then in the end, I had like, People having huge bad reviews happen and stuff like that. Okay. Because a, a company would sent out a book and it was the wrong book or that things were damaged or, or book shipments never got there. And by the yeah. time that the author realized that there was a problem, it was a massive problem. It wasn't just oh. like a customer got something wrong. It was a customer that was not being allowed. And I just yeah. didn't want that experience. Um, yeah. I, I want to be involved in every step of the process whenever my name is on the product. Absolutely. Um, so whenever whenever I'm sending out books, whenever I'm sending out games, I want it to be me that does the quality control on it, um, that has the hand in everything. It doesn't have yeah. to personally be me. Like it can be the the people I have working with me that are packaging books, that they're quality controlling stuff, and they're, they're making sure that the orders are done correctly. I'm not like helicopter momming over them while they're doing it. 
Yeah. Um, but there's a person that I can talk to that's like right next to me that's working. It's um, doing all this stuff. Yeah. So if if they're like, well, this book is bent slightly, what should I do? Grab another one or whatever. Yeah. Um, and you can't do that whenever you're having it packaged and sent by somebody who's in a completely different state or maybe right. in the U.S. That's right. And uh, then, so the tag on question to that is, who are you using to print? Because I'm assuming that you're going with like maybe an offset run or something like that because you can get them quite a bit cheaper or? Yeah, so we are going with a company called Believer's Books. Okay. I mean, David Sheets. Um, I talked to him at uh, 20 Books Vegas. Um, he, uh, but he had been, talk- been talking to him for a while, uh, but I personally met him there. And it, he's great to talk to, great to work with. I uh, haven't had any problems with it. Um, we ordered a uh, round of books. Uh, our original shipment was five pallets worth of books. Wow. So they just came by and dropped them off uh, right in front of our door. Um, we didn't have nearly as many problems as we have with Amazon. Yeah. Because um, like whenever we get books for Amazon, I, get, I have pictures. I have just folders full of pictures of terrible boxes for Amazon to send me. Like, yeah. There's 700 books in one box and the box is twice as big as it needs to be and there's no packing it there. Yeah. Congratulations. Every one of those books is not worth selling. Oh, or one one box of books we got, somebody poured like the cleaning product in it, like a Clorox or something like that. So we opened it up and there was like the smell of bleach and cleaner and oh all the gosh. books were wet. Oh my uh, so gosh. We, we haven't had that since we switched over. Yeah. We're, <laughs> wow. We're, uh, we're actually doing um like the, the next time we talk, I will be in a completely different setup because yeah. we're removing uh, our like office and where we do things or we do things that we have more room. We're doing some major changes so that we can have more storage space to uh, put our books. In. We've been looking into like getting warehouse space and stuff like that, um, so we can keep up the going. That's phenomenal. That's a dream of mine. It has been for a long time. I, I know that there are logistical nightmares to, to having that many books on hand, but I really am just, I'm personally attached to selling paperbacks. So having five pallets of books show up in my house would be a really exciting uh, thing. Those five pallets were just book one, two in our novella. So like we have, if if you like the walking into a place full of books, uh, we have yeah. racks of books. Once, uh, once I get our new place set up, I'll take pictures and send it to you. Yeah, please do. I'll uh, I'll update some podcast show notes with it so people can actually see it because that's that's really great. Um, going back to Michael uh, and Robin Sullivan, they they have a place that they call the Annex. I think it was an old church building, just full mm-hmm. of books. So kind of a similar thing. I've I've not seen that either, but they talk about it with this just sort of reverence that you know that they've been successful and they've enjoyed it and love it, and and they too love sending out physical books. I don't want to take any more of your time, David. Thank you so much for uh joining me hope to have you on again like you said again in the future but before you do run off let the listeners know uh where they can find you and if there's a specific deal that you're running right now that you want to point out to them uh let them know what that is and then give it to me and i'll get it in the show notes okay i'll uh i'll look into giving you a uh discount code or something for your show notes um but you can go to www.lydiachair.com and it's s-h-e-r-r-e-r uh and that's where you can find everything. Our store is there. Our schedule is there. Um, everything that you need to know. You can get my game on the store as well. Perfect. All right. I look forward to it. Thanks so much for your time, David. Really appreciate you. And uh, good luck out there. Really?
Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening? <laughs> <laughs>